On today's episode of Go Be Wyoming, I sat down with reoccurring guests and friends of the show, ESAL, Engineered Salinity. They are a Wyoming-based company right out of Laramie, Wyoming, who have innovated enhanced oil recovery technique here in the state of Wyoming, and they are trying to improve the lives of everybody in the world and the United States. There is about one trillion barrels of oil left in the world that their technology can recover. Also hear about why they love Wyoming, the pride and the fight in the little guy dedication and why Wyoming is important um, as we come together for common purposes, common goals, and how that breeds innovation and possibility and opportunity. This episode is also brought to you by Fly Sheridan. Save time, fly local, fly Sheridan. Book your direct flight out of Sheridan County Airport at united.com. Well, cool, guys. This has been a long time since I talked to you, Salem, or you, Brandon. So this is awesome. Good to catch up a little bit. And um, I'm excited to hear what you guys got going on. I watched that little uh, video and um, excited to hear a little bit about uh, what you guys got going on. So um, was there anything else you guys wanted to cover? Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit uh, about, you know, us being on the start engine, the Wyoming company. I think it's really important. Um, yep. It's surprising sometimes uh, that people don't know that we're around and what we're doing, how many Wyoming startups and tech industry have been on start engine and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, we really want to make sure that, you know, people understand that's where we're, we came from. That's where we're staying as far as, you know, we'll always have our office and our labs kind of out there in Wyoming. And, yeah. and then also we could talk a little bit about some of the stuff we're going to be doing in the future, which is working with carbon storage. Um, Ooh, yeah, well. yeah. So that's, it's something that's a kind of a hot topic. So we might as well talk about it and, you know, we're looking in, we, we're confident that we can improve safety and storage uh, with our process, which was just nice to see, you know, something right. that Jeff and Teresa, who were in the company 20 years ago, used to work in carbon capture and carbon storage or sequestration, as it was called back then, right? But that's too big of a word. So, um, yeah. Got to dumb it down for everyone, you know, got to, <laughs> you know, you say sequestration, it sounds scary. And so, yeah. Uh, but, uh, so we'll be working a little bit on that too. We can talk about that. Um, I think that's that's pretty good for us. Sweet. Well, um, I'm doing a little different on the intros and stuff. Um, you know, no music. I mean, there'll be music when I do it. But um, so we'll get right into it. I'll go uh, from my left. Um, so kind of introduce everybody. We've got uh, Salem Thine of uh, ESAL, um, CEO. Um, and Salem's been on. This is your third time, Salem, that we've had yeah. Eastel on. And we always have great energy conversations, not just salinity and what you guys do. I mean, just everything in general. And um, that first one seems like a decade ago because that was like before is like before COVID, I think. And ah, man, just the world has changed. But um, and so next to Salem, I don't think I've ever met. Uh, is it Vladimir? Correct. Yeah, Vladimir. Um, I've never met Vladimir before, but Vladimir's here. And then uh, off to the other side of the table is Brandon Skinner, a Wyoming guy also uh, from Gillette. Uh, Brandon and I hooked up one time when I was trying to find you guys in your lab and Brandon was there. So um, that was really fun getting to talk with Brandon and, and kind of see what you guys do in the lab. So um, this is the ESAL team, Energy Salinity. And you guys are in Dallas, correct? Yeah, Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Yeah. Fort Worth. So, um, you know, here in Sheridan, we're starting to get our, uh, our snowstorms. So, um, you guys are probably sitting pretty in that warm weather down there in Texas. It actually feels, it feels really good today. Um, I told my 
my wife feels like beach weather. Uh, it's real humid and just kind of like that weird, humid, windy, you know, kind of beach weather, 60, 70 almost, you know, so uh, no complaints. And, and December 15th, 10 days from Christmas that uh, <laughs> we're not dealing with snow. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Since I've been a Wyoming guy through and through, I have no idea what I'd, what I'd be thinking uh, with Christmas like that. Brandon, what about like, how are you feeling right now? Well, I'll just say uh, when I first moved down here, it was a change of pace. I mean, shorts oh, yeah. and weather for us is uh, heavy jackets for uh, native Texans down here. Yeah. Oh, so Vladimir was texting me last night. He's like, I'm not quite used to this. Uh, it's This is like Christmas season and it doesn't, it's 70 degrees or whatever. Yeah, you know, people go crazy here about like uh, ice skating, right? Something like being super exotic. You're like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, winter is a special thing in Texas. So, yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, that's cool. Well, um, for my listeners, you know, if they haven't listened to your two before Salem, let's yeah. kind of do a, just a quick kind of where yeah. you guys are from, what you what your uh, your guys's experience is, you know, because Salem, you've got kind of an interesting path to ESAL. So, we'll go around the table, kind of your guys's careers, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I started a long time ago. Uh, different careers. Actually, I was a high school dropout, but I went to, uh, funny thing, I went to really junior high and elementary school down in Laramie. Uh, and so finished ninth grade. And then uh, that's why my father was getting his PhD in geology at UW. So this is back in 1990, 86 through 90. Uh, Laramie, Wyoming was a much different place than it is today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, we lived right across from the elementary school, directly across from it. So uh, and then moved out to a couple different high schools and uh, didn't end up graduating, believe it or not. So I was kind of a dropout, which is a weird thing. Uh, I failed my AP English class. So out of all the classes you should fail, it shouldn't be an AP class, right? You know, as you say, but I was one of those guys that I thought I was smarter than the teacher, I think, which was uh, a problem. And it doesn't work out well for you if any of your listeners are ever thinking about being smarter than their teacher. Yeah. Uh, don't do that. But, uh, after that, I left and uh, went into the U.S. military, and I went to the Navy nuclear program. So that was really what kind of straightened me out and made me understand how hard you have to work and, and how much you have to sacrifice and put in to be good. I uh, worked in nuclear power plants with the Navy for 12 years, uh, all aircraft carriers. So that was really great, really fun to see the world, all that stuff. Uh, and then worked uh, internationally, really, with uh, uranium enrichment. So uh, did about almost 10 years with uranium enrichment, uh, worked international assignments. I spent a couple of years out in the UK as well uh, doing that, and then really pivoted to another energy source, which is you know oil and gas. And so it, it's a familiar territory because in enrichment, it's chemical processes and it's, it's the same stuff, right? You know, you're dealing with chemistry, you're dealing with energy. And so I felt it was really fun to come over here to oil and gas side and we had a really interesting technology so it's backed in chemistry really so it was right up what i'm used to seeing and used to doing and so it came over to esau um this is a family business so it was my father that started this business and i was real hesitant to come into a family business work with your dad is not a fun thing <laughs> normally um but the idea is so amazing and and the the science is so awesome of what we're going to be able to do over the next 25 years that I just felt like it was a purpose. You know, I feel that that, you know, what we see today is less and less 
opportunities for new oil and the opportunities for new oil come at more and more expensive costs, right? Yeah. So that's an important thing to everybody. You know, we don't, we don't think about it, but you start thinking about it now when you fill up your gas tank, right? Mm-hmm. You start thinking about that, but it, 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 it really seeps into everything else we do. And, and that's for transportation, product costs, everything. So the prices of oil always have to be kind of sustainably low. And I don't see that happening. Uh, I don't see that happening unless we come up with new technology. And that's what we did here at ESOP. So yeah. uh, that's how I came to the company. I came to the company about four and a half years ago. Uh, and since then, we weren't really commercial then. And, and we really tried to put on a commercial uh, edge. And, and we've done well and, and reached a lot of customers. And we're continuing to improve. And like we'll talk about later, just uh, we just recently launched our, our crowdfunding campaign. So that'll go on for the next you know six months or so, I think. Uh, you know about and and we're just looking forward to really trying to op- offer our opportunity for everybody to be involved in our company yeah what we're doing yeah. and to learn more yeah and we'll get into the history of kind of how that came about in laramie you know with your dad and yeah because um, there's a lot of important things i think for people in wyoming need to know about how it came about and and, and yeah. you know the lab's still there and etc so we'll we'll get into that so that's great uh real quick, real quick. Yeah. Shout out to Heber Richardson, County Commissioner down there in Albany County. Uh, went to school with him, and he was recently talking to my father, who was looking to be on um, one of the boards down there, and said, "Hey, are you are you Salem's dad?" And so I haven't seen Heber forever, but I didn't realize he was the County Commissioner down there in Albany County. So uh, we get a shout out to Heber, man. I'm doing well. Hope you're doing well. Awesome. Yeah, love that. Yes, small Wyoming's a small community. It's always making connections everywhere. Yeah, great. Great. Sorry. Thanks for that, Aaron. Yep. No, uh, Vladimir, I'm kind of interested, you know, first time meeting you. So I'm kind of uh, interested to hear your story a little bit. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Um, really excited. Um, so my story, um, I was originally born and raised in Russia and uh, actually came to the University of Wyoming uh, as a student right after turning 18, got the Got on the plane, um, just go to the university, uh, started my education in uh, finance and economics. And uh, while studying there, really loved it. And uh, one of the coolest thing I uh, found was the, uh, the tech, uh, tech incubator um, that is run by the university. And that's how I got to know uh, Jeff, Salem, Teresa, all the uh, technical team uh, right there in the lab. Um, and uh, it was really fascinating. Actually, there are a lot of really cool tech startups uh, coming out of the university, and it was really amazing to see that. And uh, especially when I got to work with ESAL, I just got blown away by the amount of the work that they have done uh, to date. And it was like back years ago, there's a lot more that have been done after that. Uh, but I saw this really great impact that the technology could do and all the work that has been done before and you know we're just ready to go out and um i got really excited uh i started working with them uh you know do all the economic financial forecasting uh lots of cool stuff and uh, then i graduated and uh, moved right here to texas uh to get this technology out there work with the company and amazing people uh and yeah it's been uh, quite a journey in the united states uh and i love uh, every step of it that's awesome, man. Um, so my dad is, uh, his, his new wife is from Russia. And I don't know if you know my stepsister, uh, Deanna from Sheridan. Um, she's still in school. 
Um, but she's dual citizenship in Russia. So that's very cool. Um, I'm going to ask you later about why you picked the University of Wyoming. and <laughs> Right. Um, that's very cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the incubator and all that stuff. So that's awesome. That's cool to hear your story. Um, Brandon, um, give everyone a little bit, you know, where you're from, how you got into ESAL. All right. Sounds good. Oh, thanks, Aaron. So uh, as far as, uh, I mean, I grew up in Gillette, so rival to Sheridan. So uh, yeah. you and I are just natural rivals right there. So yes. I don't know how we became friends, but it, it happens. <laughs> Uh, but I grew up in Gillette um, and then just went to the community college down there. And then after there, I just hopped in the oil and gas industry and I, I loved it. So I decided, well, I'm going to go back to school. And I went the uh, geology route for the uh, on the petroleum sector. And I thought that was really interesting. And the uh, geology program at the University of Wyoming was actually really good. I've learned so much and uh, just was able to continue to grow on that that aspect yeah. but the uh one interesting thing was i went into uh office hours one time which i hardly ever did and i was able to get introduced to esal and that's how i i got on with these guys was uh just going to talk to my professors and and i was offered a line of work through the university and i was able to do uh some testing for esal just kind of third party and then yeah. Uh, just our relationship grew. Um, that's actually where I met Jeff, and it just the opportunity after yeah. graduating, and then just being able to hop on with ESL full time. And after that, we just said, "Oh, hey, uh, we're going to be expanding, yeah. so we're coming down to Texas." And um, it's just been a really amazing journey, uh, especially with uh, great group of people here yeah and um i mean i do miss wyoming but i don't miss the cold <laughs> you can visit in the warm season you know back <laughs> when it's beautiful yeah yeah um well guys one thing i'm writing down is is the different tracks you guys got to come together you know uh, salem as you said you were a high school dropout went into the military had a great career there got yourself into you know nuclear and uranium um and then Vladimir, you know, you came over here to this country, went to school um, and then got hooked up through the incubator. And then Brandon, you know, you were kind of really you went kind of trade route, you know, went to the oil field, kind of like, oh, this is really cool. Um, and then went back to school. So to me, I'm like, that's, uh, you know, for Wyoming, that's a great thing to hear, you know, that we can either the school's doing it or, you know, go to the military, you know, incubator and all that stuff. So um, and then the one thing, you know, that uh, Brandon and Vladimir said was you know, go talk to people, go learn, you know, what, whatever interests you, you know, the incubator, whatever it is, you know, and that's how it kind of all the stars align. So that's really cool. Yeah, um, I, think, I think a lot of people would be real surprised when you go out and you start finding out what kind of companies are out there, especially through the various incubators in your city or out by the university. I know there's, there's so many accelerators and business accelerators, you know, being part of a startup is a different experience, but you'll learn so much more than you ever would going to a big Amazon or, or you know, Facebook or something like that, which is a great job. And, and don't get me wrong, but you're really going to do your job. That's just that what they do. I, what's funny is, is Brandon is actually trained completely in sales. And as a geologist, he's our number one salesperson as well, right? He's our, he's our, our, our primary interface with all of our customers as a geologist. 
Right. So, so you know, at a startup, you don't just to come in and be a geologist, and you don't just to be just to be a financial analyst, right? You are part of, you know, all of our planning, our strategic planning, our customer engagement. They're here on this podcast. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that you get. Which I just encourage anybody out there, you know, if you're students and such, and you really don't know what exactly you want to do, go out and find the startups out there and see mm-hmm. what you can do because you might find a great career path. Yeah. Yeah. And don't be afraid to learn, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Brandon easily could have been like, well, I went to school as a geologist, you know, and then he mm-hmm. wouldn't be here, you know, so <laughs> yeah. um, you got to be open to new things. And um, th- that leads me right into the first time I met Esau was I think you guys were about a year and a half out of the incubator, you know, so you yeah. guys were still in the Laramie lab. Um, I think, I don't know, somebody sent me the link, you know, cause I was doing oil and gas. I was a landman. They're like, have you seen this? And I'm, you know, doing some research a little bit on your guys' stuff. And I'm like, how's no one heard of this? You know? And so I was like, I'm just going to drive to Laramie. I'm going to try and find these guys. Um, and like I said before, you know, the only person there was Brandon and he kind of just started. So we were kind of just learning the ropes a little bit, but, um, it has been super cool to see like Brandon's role and just the whole company grow from, you know, this startup and you guys going through those growing pains. Um, let's walk through that a little bit, you know, so Jeff, um, really had been working on this for a long time. Isn't that right, Sam? Yeah, he'd been working on this since 2013. It actually started, the funny story about how we even came about was all a ski trip up in down Colorado. So um, it was a ski trip and, and Jeff had, had done some work for the Enhanced Oil Recovery Institute. He was there for quite a time, quite a, a lot of time there at the university. And he had a project about low sal, which is low salinity water flooding up in the Minnelusa. And um, it, the project turned out to really prove the low sal didn't work in the Minnelusa, which wasn't good because there was all these people really wanted to work, but science is science, right? Science yeah. is, it's gonna do what it's gonna do, right? And so um, it really frustrated them because there was case evidence that they thought it should work. It worked in other places, other similar reservoirs. And so it bugged him, uh, bugged him so much that he left the Institute at some point to just continue to work on this. Because this is, if we can unlock, you know, 20% to 30% of the oil that's still left in the ground, right? Which is a lot, which could be a trillion barrels in the world. That's a lot, right? If we could find a way to unlock it, which we have accidentally in the past, but do it purposefully and do it planned and, and do it, you know, like with, with a plan and, and purposely and, and cheap, then that'd be amazing. So he was working on it. We were at a ski trip. He skied with my kids. The first day we were in Winter Park, Colorado, visiting my brother. And the next day he's like, I'm too tired to go ski. It's too cold. It's too windy, you know, right? I'm like, well, hey, just, you know what? Go back and and work on this problem that's been bugging you. And I said, the one thing I learned in the nuclear program is that when you're, when you really don't know where, where to go is erase all your assumptions and just write up the facts, write up, write up your indications. And it's something you want to do is because a lot of times in our brains, we just kind of hold a lot of these things we think are facts, but they're just assumptions, right? And we assume that these things are, are, are not going to change. And I said, erase all that stuff and just write up everything that you know, that you see, that we have evidence for. And the next morning he comes to me and said, I think we got it. Right. I, I, all of a sudden I just started putting it up in all these lines. You know, everything started to correlate and started to work right. out. So it'll take us a couple of years, but I think I got it. And I remember that that moment. It was right before New Year's. And, and, um, and so then he started working on it. Right. And it took years. And he started going back and looking for more data, more facts and testing our our hypotheses and really working science the right way. And uh, which, which Jeff has always been, my dad's always been great at. He's, he's a scientist, right? He's not a scientist that says, I'll make the science work. The science works if it doesn't work, right? Right. 
And uh, I really respect that. And so uh, that was where it was born. And then they spent lots of work, about, you know, really three, four years on it, trying to find models and trying to make sure that we could actually predict this and we could explain all the failures and the reasons why Metalucid didn't work and mm -hmm. how to get it to work, uh, which we can do now. And so that's how it was born. And, and at some point I saw the light. I gave up my 24 year career in nuclear, uh, very successful to come out here and do this because I think it's that important for, for everybody. Right. It's, it's that important that we, we apply true science and, and something to this industry. The industry is going to change over the yes. next really decade. And I think that something like this is going to lead the way. So 100%. That's, how, that's how we, we came across it. all happy accidents, really, and, and things. And, and that's what we're found as a family. And I think we run our business kind of as a family as well. Yeah. One one thing uh, I want to hit on, and I'm going to let Brandon, since he's the sales guy, he'll talk yeah. about the technology. Yeah. But one yeah. thing that you hit on multiple times already is purpose and why. And I think that's super important for any startup or any business. Like if you're just trying to make money, you're not good. I mean, you might succeed, I guess, but yeah. really it comes down to your product and what you're trying to do. And I think, um, you know, it's been really cool to see ESAL grow. And I think we are at a point right now, I think COVID you know, hyperspeeded this problem, but, um, you know, we need, we need something to enhance our recovery, you know, either if that's globally or the United States, whatever it is. So, um, I just wanted to kind of make that point, you know, purpose and why, and that's why you took the risk, you know, like you said, you're leaving a 24 year career, yeah. um, in something that would be still probably a successful, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I um, money there too. And, uh, yeah. you know, you come to a startup and you don't know, but, uh, the purpose is it's, it's the right thing, you know, yep. and, and we have to. We have an energy transition that's going to happen over the next 50 years, and there's more and more countries that that people that deserve energy freedom. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much of our world that has no lights. They deserve it. As much as we have phones and everything else and, and all the TVs and everything, they just deserve a standard of living that is yep. not dark. And who are we to rob them of that? We can't do that just through you know, any one energy source, right? Every one of these energy sources need to be maximized and need to be productive and need to be cheap. Yep. And that's that's something that a lot of people don't talk about, right? It needs to be cheap. And so $100, $120 barrel of oil does nobody any good, right? right? Can you keep it where we're at? And the only way to do that is to really sustainably produce energy and energy sources all over the place. So um, that's, that's, that's really a big a big message for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think that needs to be the talking point moving forward for everybody in energy. I think that's just, yes. no one can disagree about that. So yeah. um, now we've been talking a lot about ESAL. So Brandon, what is ESAL? What is this technology that, that Jeff has stumbled upon um, and that you guys, uh, you know, have been selling the last couple of years? Well, as uh, Sam mentioned, it was, uh, it's a technology that we're able to unlock uh, what's left behind. So many many of the oils that have been drilled haven't been maximized to their full potential as far as recovery. So what we're able to do is to understand the chemistry and the the relationships within the reservoir to be able to unlock that trapped oil. Yeah. Yeah, we do that through a, a technique with wettability. Uh, so wettability is basically how much water or oil might like that rock and understanding that relationship. It's kind of like a genetic unfolding of the reservoir when you say yeah. um you know if we talk about genetics it's just kind of how how chemistry in our body works or how chemistry in anything works and how that relationship is and it's a real complex relationship and that's why it hasn't been figured out 
And we're still figuring out some things with it, getting better. Um, but understanding that relationship with the oil, rock, and water, and it's not optimized. When it's born and it was created, I don't know, time of the dinosaurs and before, uh, it, it didn't have a plan and it wasn't optimized, right? And so for the last hundred years, we just kind of went in there and got the easy oil. Well, the easy oil is gone and the hard oil is understanding these things that aren't optimized, which is that right. relationship between the oil, rock, and the water. And we go down and we, we get down the reservoir and we understand really the relationship with oil, water, and that rock, which oil and water has not been studied well. Uh, that relationship. Oil was great because it came out and we needed it for refineries. And so that's all we cared about, you know, was, as was a good or bad oil, basically, sour oil, what, what, you know, how much sulfur content, things like that. And the water was a waste product. So how much studying do you do on a waste product, right? You know what right. I mean? Like that's like studying my garbage bin or something, right? Like I'm not going to go through all that and, and determine if there's something good there. But we've gone back through really exhaustive chemistry and really surface chemistry and understand how those relate and then unlocking that key and re-engineering it by going down the reservoir, changing your injection water, which then reprograms its kind of genetics, as we say, right? And it aligns that genetic profile to produce or release the oil that was trapped. I don't know. I mean, your listeners, I mean, how much oil is left behind worldwide? How many people know that we leave behind 60 to 70% of the oil that we drilled for? That's, That's crazy. 500,000 plus oil wells in the United States, and we, we batted 300 on them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's an important note that, that we kind of think about is we, and anybody listening, 70% of oil is left behind. And that's the strategy of our industry today is to go plug and abandon these old wells. Uh, I recently had an opinion piece in, in Heart Magazine. And, and I said, that's like retiring. How old are you, Aaron? I'm 27. Okay. That would be like me saying you need to be retired now. You, don't, right. you, can't, you can't functionally work because you're, you're exhausted. We did nothing left for you to do. I mean, how ridiculous would that be? But that's what we're doing with our oil and gas, or really our oil wells out there mm -hmm. in, in this country. And we need to really think that because they've been drilled. We spent the money. We, we went through the, you know, the environmental risks associated with that. And let's make them more productive. Let's put them out to year 70 of their functional life, right? Let's go get 70% of that reservoir, 80% of that reservoir. Right, right, right. And what, you know, what has been... Um, the biggest key that you guys have found, you know, of, of approaching people to like, Hey, use us. We can either tell you we can do it on your well, or we can't. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. Innovation in the oil industry is usually in drilling, right? And it's usually in drilling technologies and they do a great job with that. Uh, this is a back into EOR more, right? Which enhanced mm -hmm. oil recovery. And that's been a tough spot for a long time because it wasn't real deliverable as expensive and not necessarily predictable. Um, but I think that, you know, I think we've learned a lot in the last 15, 20 years in that realm. I would like to think that we can be smarter and better like we can anywhere else. And there's a lot of great technologies out there that can do this. For us, I'll tell you, anybody listening, they're interested in this. They have an oil field. They work at an oil company. They have some, some interesting things. We'll go do this process as a trial on your field for free. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't cost anything. If it works, let's talk. Yep. So that's that's always what we've said to anybody out there. We're so confident in our technology and so confident in our processes because what we do, how we de-risk it, how we study it, how we know the science, how it's predictable, that I'm not going to go and tell you I can work in your field when I can't. And so when I if I if I test your field and we like the the you know the testing results, then 
will come out and we'll put it in so you can see the results for free. And if you want to keep those results, you want to expand it out to the rest of your field, the rest of the wells out there, then then we'll talk and it's really cheap. And right. we, we will we'll produce those barrels of oil generally for less than four dollars, uh, which nobody can do. Nobody in the industry can do. So I'm that confident. I, I you know, you don't get that. And, and it's funny because I was talking to my wife about some other technologies and she said, why don't people just do it like you do, which which is. If do it for free. If you don't get the results, don't charge somebody, right? I'm like, yeah, that would be nice if the rest of the world worked like that. <laughs> uh, you know, but not everybody does that, but we do. Right. And and we're willing to do that kind of stuff, especially for those smaller operators out there, the guys that don't have the cash flow that aren't paying to do that. There's a lot of them out in Wyoming. You know, give us a shout. We'll come test your field. If it can work, great. Uh, if it can't, we'll tell you, and it doesn't cost you anything. Right. Well, it comes back to your guys' purpose, you know, your why. You know, the whole point is cheap is cheap recovery. Yeah. You know, why are we going to, why are we going to charge you if it doesn't work? You know, that's, that's, you're pretty much lying. That wouldn't be very cheap, would it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, what's it? Um, anything to add there? You too? Oh, no, I think, I think that's our best, um, you know, for us, that's, that's what we give. And, and, and we're just looking for people that continually partner up. Uh, we, we do onshore, offshore, we can work with unconventional. I, I know everybody's kind of focused on that's pretty much the only oil left, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you, man, if you've got some old fields, we love you. And at Wyoming, there's a lot of great targets uh, out there. That's where we, that's where we have the most knowledge with us starting in Laramie. Yep. You know, that's all, most, we know Wyoming inside and out, and um, we're willing to work anywhere in there, and we really want to help them uh, get these, these barrels that they left behind. And, and that we might leave behind instead of plugging and abandoning that well let's go make it serviceable and productive you know yeah on that note you know the last time you were on we talked about the energy the oil field of the future and i think you yeah. kind of said you know wyoming can be that because yeah. we've got these we've got these oil and gas wells that have been going for say 50 60 years and i mean those were the humdingers but again if if we're leaving 60 to 70 percent of those ones you know why can't we go back out there um you know, and, and try and get some recovery and um, talk, talk a little bit of what your vision is of the oil field of the future. Yeah, the oil field of the future is something we, a year ago, we kind of started looking at, you know, we had a lot of partnerships, a lot of discussions with other companies in the same startup space, right? New technologies and such. And, and we, we sat around the table and said, man, why couldn't we stop, you know, tear down all these lines of competition between different energy sources and what we're doing? And because we need the energy, it doesn't matter, right? Like we can compete, but in the end, there's not enough energy to go around, right? So what are we competing with, right? That, that seems kind of silly, right? Yeah. So, you know, if we could just back off from that and say, okay, there's enough for everybody. And then what would we do in the field if we started from the very start? Knowing everything we know now, how would you go back in there, right? And, and you go back and look at a field as like right now we're oil farmers, but do we just have to be oil farmers? I mean, I, I always say that oil industries is oil farmers. Everything's farming, right? You take the land, you tend the land, you extract something out of it, and you, and, you, and you use it for a purpose, right? But if I went X, Y, and Z on this big plot, how much different things on the surface, how much energy can we generate from solar or wind? From, from the oil, obviously, and the gas, what can we do with the gas that's, that's come off of it? I love in Wyoming, there's companies that are doing crypto, right, yeah. that, are, that are out there and, and, you know, doing Bitcoin mining and, and other crypto mining as necessary with the waste gas, right? So that's like another really great concept. And you put a station on there, you burn the gas, you take the oil, you use the water, maybe geothermal energy production, 
maybe you power most of your stuff with your solar or wind that's out there. And Wyoming's plenty of wind. Uh, so I know that's about it. You don't need the big industrial wind turbines. You can have smaller ones that are located. And and why can't we look at a field and say, let's 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 look at what makes sense economically when and apply those technologies instead of just doing one thing and then getting rid of it, right? Because today, really, I think what we've done in the past 50 years, the oil industry is let's go drill our well, take everything we have out and then go leave it for the landowner. And, you know, any landowner is ever watching this. I know how you guys sometimes get treated with some of your leaseholders. And, and that's the, like, the oil field of the future is working in combination with the landowner to say, thank you for the land. Let me get as much. We, we kind of think of it as what would Native Americans do with the buffalo, right? Mm -hmm. Use every piece of that buffalo for part of their livelihood. Well, why don't we do the same thing with the field of the future, right? The field of the future should be using every piece of energy, every piece of, of minerals, extraction, everything. And, and working that out in, in, in coordination and, you know, in, in planning for what makes sense economically and to go out and do that. And so for us, we imagine Wyoming having, you know, a field of the future where you go out there, you're mining Bitcoin, you have some surface uh, energy generation, right? You might eventually, as the oil is exhausted, you're going to use geothermal uh, processes, right, for the water. Because the water's still down there, you're still pumping it, you're still using it, and we use water quite a bit. Uh, you're planning to do that, and then you're and maybe even sifting out rare rare earth minerals, right? Yeah. As we know, lithium starting to become an issue because of EV takeoff. And once again, energy is needed. We all need to work together. So you know, maybe we can we can get some of our rare earth minerals out of there. And it's all in a process. And yeah. then also, let's stop being so ugly with our fields. Let's beautify them a little bit. Doesn't hurt to paint some oil tanks and some water tanks and make them pretty. I know it doesn't sound nice, but uh, we should be proud of what we do yep. in the oil industry, and we should show that pride on all of our tanks. Why wouldn't you just paint tanks with, with famous Wyoming people, right? Like, like let's pay an homage to what Wyoming was. And so when you're driving through, which is a long drive in Wyoming, if you're driving through Wyoming, maybe there's some nice scenery to look at as well, right? Yep. You know, yep. out with the oil fields. So. Some yep. history, uh, yeah. Promote other things like uh, artists. I mean, yeah. uh, that's, uh, I know in Gillette going, uh, going through there there's a lot of artistry in there uh, so then uh, that is actually when I grew up I was like oh that's cool there's um I think it was LH industrial over there they they had their big wall and they had a mural right there which yeah really right. cool yeah and, like that 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 is an eye catcher so mm -hmm. you want to have something that's beautified but yeah. on top of uh being able to use everything for maximum efficiency uh another thing too is like just being more esg focused as well yeah. so understanding like water usage using everything efficiently and then also uh carbon capture and storage so you can maximize yeah. if if the reservoir is depleted you can turn that into a, a different source for capture and storage yeah absolutely right that's a great point this episode of go be wyoming is brought to you by fly sheridan Save time, fly local, fly Sheridan. The Sheridan County Airport has reliable air service operated by SkyWest Airlines and United. They have a newly remodeled terminal and construction for additional parking underway. Sheridan County is becoming one of the busiest airports in the region. Book your direct flight to Denver today via united.com. That was a quick bathroom break for us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Um, you guys were, um, I, I left, you guys left off on the carbon capture. Um, yeah, so, you know, at some point when, when oil has been extracted and, and we've pushed out as much as we can, 
with every technology. And you're talking about this is a 20 year life cycle, maybe 30 more years of extracting oil out of some of these old fields that we can unlock. And it's cheap, so it, it creates money that allows us to, to consider some of these other new technologies and start to bring them in and prove them up. And then at some point, let's evaluate this for carbon dioxide storage. You know, carbon dioxide also produces more oil, so it'll help us achieve this, our dream of every reservoir being greater than 70% of extraction, you know, total, which is our dream. And then, you know, we can store it as well. And so that's as, a, as an issue that we have worldwide as far as um, our concern for CO2 in the atmosphere and the concentration of CO2, being able to put places with man-made CO2 back in the ground, store it, uh, that's part of what, the way we envision, you know, yeah. how ESAL incorporates ourselves uh, into this whole field of the future. Yep. Yeah, no, and I love it. And I love that you guys too want, you know, why can't Wyoming do that? And I think um, for the younger guys in the room, not to call you old or anything, Salem, but <laughs> we've got a, another native Wyoming guy, you know, and then um, someone that moved here to this country. You know, I think what's super cool about the oil field of the future is you get to bring people in or you get to keep people in with jobs, you know, sustainable jobs. You know, you just mentioned the carbon capture could be 20, 30 years. And that's not even talking about getting, you know, getting that 70 percent oil out. So, you know, to you younger guys, you know, how is that important to you about, you know, Brandon, you could come back to Gillette if you wanted to, you know, uh, it, with this job. And uh, Vladimir, I don't know if you liked Laramie or not, if you ever got up to Sheridan, you know, Sheridan's a little prettier than Laramie. But, um, you know, how do you guys feel about being a part of, you know, kind of this energy um, transition, I guess we'll use that word. Talking about future sustainability, right? And the younger generation, like I now kind of have to think about what my children will get someday, right? That's yeah. how many years out there, and um, kind of seeing um, uh, the way that things change, right? How we progress, how technologies progress, how we get a better understanding of the uh, environmental issues, energy sustainability issues. Uh, I think as we get more and more educated on that, we realize uh, that we need to constantly improve. Right, technology and innovations never stop. They always have to continue. And we're here, right, to bring this new frontier. I think, right, like when we started, like the humanity started producing oil, that was a big breakthrough, right? Uh, water flying, enhanced oil covers, CO2, those were really big breakthroughs. And we shouldn't stop there. We should uh, just continue doing this. And uh, a part of this is to being creative, right? Like make it fun. Look like Tesla or SpaceX, right? Like we're going to Mars, yeah. this all the crazy fun stuff, right? Like the Cybertruck, right? It's just as having this vision and making it fun, creative, and constantly looking at new things and how can we uh, make our life better, uh, lives of our children better, yes. and mm -hmm. fun in the process. And um, and I think especially with uh, the ESAL technology, uh, it was really interesting because we. I think we feel really this idea that not only benefits the like people in the company, right, local economies, but also uh, on a broader scale, kind of the whole humanity, let's just say, right, more access to resources. So then those resources can be spent on the things that will improve uh, our lifestyles further and further. And I think that's what gets me going uh, with this technology and, you know, the whole industry, um, just making things better and keep progressing uh, and it's been really exciting and uh really really excited to continue going forward with it yeah um, having fun yeah we are 
Well, you're just stealing a lot of my thunder right there. <laughs> I, I was just going to add a lot of stuff, especially with the sustainability. I mean, especially with uh, career sustainability, because I know uh, I know a lot of, especially in the oil and gas industry, yeah. um, with oil prices, you get a fluctuation of uh, there's an influx of jobs, and then there's mass layoffs. The same mm -hmm. in coal. Um, I mean, you see all that, but being able to have sustainable jobs and a sustainable future where you're um, you're not worried about oh, do I have a job in a week or in a day or a year from now, and so um, just being able to be on the forefront, especially in Wyoming, with a lot of really neat innovations that uh, come from there, just being on the forefront of a, a futuristic concept which anybody can get behind. Yeah. And um, how we how we talked about before, it's like okay, each uh, I mean, a company has a purpose, but each individual needs to have a purpose as well. And so if you can define your purpose and actually believe in that, then you can actually do great things. Yeah. Kind of like how um, Vladimir was talking about with uh, Tesla and SpaceX. It's, th those are crazy dreams, but they're, they're dreams until you actually make them a reality. And I, I think we're honestly a crazy dream. We have a lot of fun here in the office. We have games, we have all that kind of stuff. We talk about innovation all the time. We embrace it. We we hope that the rest of the industry out there is demanding this attitude of embracing innovation as opposed to some of the older attitude, which is just don't screw it up, right? Like we had a good deal, don't screw it up. Those two things can't be together, right? You have to get, you have to let, let go of this, this feeling of, oh, just don't screw it up. And what could happen? right and dream a little bit in the oil industry and we're dreamers in this business uh, we believe this can happen we want everybody out there anybody that sees us anybody that look at the company demand esau oil is part of this portfolio of these companies and say why haven't you done this because that's the only way we're going to change so yep. we have to we have to i mean this is we are at the end of of cheap oil unless we start to embrace companies like ours and others that are out there in the spaces that are doing different parts of this. And I think it's just, you know, up to the young and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not old, but I'm older. It's really up to, it's up to your generation and, and the generations are like right there to demand this, right? Yeah. Just like they demand that we have to be responsible for carbon dioxide emissions. We should demand that we should be extracting all the oil out of reservoirs that we can, right? Because if we're not, I, the, we cannot build solar wind fast enough. We can't transition to EVs. We want to do that here at ESAL. We want all of that. That can't happen over the next 30 years without cheap oil. Yep. That's what really worries us. Without you know, the right type of oil, the right price of oil, <clears throat> none of that can happen. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you're on something huge, you know, because, yeah, you're. I'm, I'm not trying to say you're old, Salem, but there's – That's you, okay. The, the old, let's just say the old guard's out. You know, if, if they're still in, like, you're about out. Because if you yeah. ain't going to change and get cheap oil, you know, you're going to be gone. But um, I think Wyoming is primed and ready because, you know, some stigmatism about landowners, as you were mentioning, you know, not all these landowners that have oil and gas wells are just like, just give me the oil and leave me alone. A lot of them have mentioned, like, what about a little, you know, little wind turbine so I can power my house or how about you guys capture that natural gas? So you're not just flaring yeah. it and you know, yeah. I can power my, my ranch operation. I mean, these guys are thinking of sustainability and I think that needs to be the conversation of, um, and some of them, I will say some of those ranchers are our age, you know, they're third, fourth yeah. generation. So they're, they're thinking about 
I'll freaking let those crypto mining guys on my, you know, on my land if I get, you know, get paid for it or crypto or energy. I mean, so it does start with we have to have this new mindset and we have to have that conversation. And I think Wyoming is primed for it. You guys are a Wyoming based company and, um, you know, got Wyoming roots all the way through. So, um, I want to, I want to get to, um, cause right now you guys are in your big, uh, crowdfunding. Um, yeah. there's, there's a, uh, I'll share the link and everything on start engine. Um, you know, some, some notes I hit from that video. I'll, I'll tell all our, our listeners, they need to go watch it cause they, it hits on some of the things we've already talked about. Um, but, um, the big ones I think are, you guys are entering, are you guys entering year nine or year eight? Oh man, year nine. Uh, year nine? Year okay. Year awesome. That's a, isn't that a huge marker for startups? Uh, yeah. So if we can get past 10, uh, we, we, I think we get past, uh, 80 some percent of startups, 90, about 90% of startups. So we this- so get past 10 years and, and we've actually done all of this. This is the first fundraising we've ever done. So we've done it all through our own investment bootstrapping and then customer support. So, yeah. uh, which is very, very rare for startups to yeah. do especially in the technology space. And, and, but we decided it's time to allow crowdfunding and allow the people to be part of the vision that we have. And, and so that's why we decided to do this with yet no outside funding other than national science foundation, which has been fantastic, but they believe in our cause yeah, yeah. In science, which is really nice too. Yep. That's awesome. Well, I, I would say you guys are going to get to year 10 unless something crazy happens. You know, if you haven't had to, you know, if this is the first crowdfunding you've had to do, that's pretty amazing. Um, you guys have, you know, another kind of bits and I'll let you guys kind of hit it too. Um, you know, you guys have made, and I think I'm getting this right. You guys have made 1.7 million for your clients' revenue, correct? That's that's our revenue. Our clients make a lot more than that, but, uh, that's our revenue associated with this. And that's just internal, like we said, with a small company, we all, we were cash flow positive uh, just yeah. before COVID. Obviously, the oil industry decided to take a lot of pauses in their yeah. projects. Uh, we see next year being a, a real banner year for us as well. We have a lot of projects that are in place, both uh, locally in, in Wyoming, nationally, and then internationally as well. A lot of interest in this internationally. Yeah. So um, one of the reasons we wanted to crowdfund is just to accelerate, uh, to continue to be able to pour into the research and development of the new stuff that we're doing, those things, and to continue to get our name out there. So like you say, how can nobody know about these guys? And, and we hear that a lot. And maybe that's my probably my problem for not marketing us, us enough. But we're, we've been really worried about making sure that we're doing the right science for a long time. And well, you know. yeah, yeah, no. And, and first, if you're an operator, you know somebody that's an operator, so the 1.7 is what you guys have made. So, you know, exponentially, probably talk to Vladimir. He's the number guy of what the clients have made. So our clients can make a lot with, with yes. working with us. So um, it's, yeah, we can obviously can't talk about all those yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get in trouble. Can give a rust estimate, you know, and, you know, and that's even through COVID, as you mentioned. And then um, in the video is mentioned, you know, globally, you're talking about the global scale of recovery you know, it's an estimated maybe 1 trillion barrels of oil that your technology can unlock. Um, That sounds ridiculous. And I I just want to assure everybody, we go through some really rigorous compliance checks on those statements. (laughs) So uh, start engine will not put anything on there that does not have proof or evidence. And so we've shown that proof and evidence of what we can do. Uh, And that's actually potentially a conservative number. Um, This is what, uh, when you leave 70% behind, 
of you know of 10 trillion barrels possible you know or or a few trillion barrels possible what else is out there so uh we we know what we can unlock and if anybody ever wants to know give me a call because we'll walk you through it all and and i'm very confident of those numbers and just in the u.s i think you have the number there too is is right around 100 billion barrels or just under so yeah which is what crazy. 100 billion barrels do for us that's i'll tell you this we can produce as much as the entire shale industry has produced to date and will produce uh, with our technology, but yet we'll do it at $4 a barrel or less as opposed to $60 a barrel. Right. So um, that's, why not go do that? Yeah. <laughs> it, well, it makes sense to me. <laughs> well, and now you're letting people be, be a part of it, be, you know, yeah. get, get in, involved in the crowdfunding and, um, you know, I would say listen to our two first interviews with you because we yes. we really hit that very hard the first couple times about what it does. So, um, you, you know, reach out to Sale and Brandon, reach out to team if you want to learn more. But I would say listen to those two because we really dive deep into what ability, salinity. And yeah. um, one thing I think um, I do want Brandon to cover on why um, water, because I think we kind of breezed over that a little bit, you know. Yeah. You guys can do it super cheap, like you said, four bucks or under. But also, you know, you guys are almost considered green energy because you guys can save people water, you know. So that's huge for environmentalists, the landowner, you know, operator who has to buy the water. Agriculture out there. Yeah. 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 It's just really important to understand because, like, you know, uh, we we talked uh, about it as uh, water being a waste product and all that stuff, too. But why not be able to reuse it and tailor it to be able to produce more oil, which then again, your efficiency, you're producing more oil at less energy. So, I mean, it's just a win-win on a, on a multiple scale. Yeah. I mean, almost all of our solutions don't involve fresh water. So imagine if we were drilling the last 10 years with ESAL technology, we would have avoided fresh water in every one of them almost. And we've done yeah. a case studies. And so that's, billions of barrels of fresh water that could have been used for agriculture, saved, you know, yep. drinking water, you know, who knows, right? And and it's because we just rush, right? And 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 for working with, with us, you can avoid that. You can take a waste stream water that someone else is gonna go bury and get rid of and go make more oil with it. Yep. How how that's that that's a green process, right? That's the old days for my age is is reuse, reduce, recycle, right? Reduce, reuse, recycle. Uh, that's what we do with water and we yep. make sure that we inform the, the operators, this is the water you can use. This is what's going to get you more oil. And if they work out together, which they do in most cases, uh, we can go help find that, or we can, you can take one of your waste streams and actually produce more. So, yeah. Yeah. I just have this vision in my head. Uh, when I was a land man, I was working for an operator and they were buying fresh water from a landowner. Yeah. And man, he was making hands over fist on these guys because they were rushing and they wanted the water. And I'm sitting, you know, after I met you guys, I'm always looking back to that. I'm like, <laughs> I always wonder if they would have used Esal. I'm like, maybe they wouldn't have had to pay him. You know, they that landowner would have had his water. And then I think that well didn't turn out very well. So, anyways, and they, I'm and maybe the case because the water they use, we find that with some of our customers is is they, you know, they use fresh water for the drilling fluid and and for any other additions that they put into the water rack you know, sand and, and everything, all those considerations. But most of those are just kind of assumptions, right? Yes. And if we could have changed it to maybe not as fresh, there could have been an optimization of wettability when you drilled and not an impact to the rest of the drilling fluids. Yep. And so then we work with that. We, we'd analyze all those drilling fluids and say, hey, 
if you guys went up to maybe like this 15 or 20K TDS type of fluid, and that's a little technical, right, but a little bit saltier uh, fluid, and it doesn't impact your drilling fluids, we'll make sure, then you actually might actually have a good well and produce better. And we find that to be the case a lot with our operators is they just kind of use whatever someone else has used. And so they're looking for these landowners to give them a freshwater well. And uh, they're actually hurting their drilling, hurting their production, and in a way hurting the environment by taking freshwater to, to now throw down hole and, and contaminate and, and they have to basically re be recleaned for reuse. So. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I just always, I just, I'm just like, man. <laughs> I laugh uh, every day. <laughs> yeah. We see it. We get a lot of operators in here. We're like, okay, it's okay. We're going to help you out. We're going to yeah. make it better. Just pat them on the back. It's okay. We'll help hey, you. And how would you know, right? How would you know? Because yeah. this has never been. We're the only ones in the space doing this. Uh, it's constantly validated. I think every every couple of months we talk to another customer and they say, man, I don't know anybody else that's doing what you guys are doing. And that's just the case. And so. And that's um, okay. You guys are prime. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. And, and someday we'll all be doing it. And that's fine too. That's what we want. Yep. And we don't necessarily care if it's with ESA. We want this to come out and we want this technology to be everywhere because uh, we need it as a, as, a, as a world and we need it. We have to have this. We got to be smarter with water. We got to be smarter with energy prices. We have to be smarter with what we're doing. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, guys, I want to do, um, I kind of went away from this when I first started the podcast, but since I've got you know, friends of the show back on. Yeah. Um, what's it mean to you guys? Um, and maybe we'll have Vladimir go first. I don't know, but he, he, he lived in Laramie, went to school there. Um, you know, the, the term go be go be Wyoming, you know, and it can be related to energy to your guys' business, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, what does that mean to you guys and how, you know, Wyoming can kind of be leaders? Um, there's just so much crap going on i'll just say it just yeah. any any realm you look at you know energy politics social i mean just there's just a load of crap but you know brandon being from wyoming salem you be from wyoming you know um i think we've hit on some themes you know how can wyoming kind of be the leader in some issues or just what does go be wild mean to you guys and uh maybe let's start with brandon first and and then well, if flat wants to go then salem can end so yeah. Well, what I, what it means to me, like just what I'm getting from there is just, um, I mean, we look to, we do look to a lot of people, uh, as far as like big cities, like Dallas, who are the leaders in Dallas, who are the leaders in New York and Washington and all that stuff. Why can't Wyoming be leaders? Why can't the little guys be the leaders? And I think that's, that's the one thing for us. It's like we've got the drive. Wyoming's got the drive. Wyoming's got the passion, got the pride, and that's why Wyoming and Texas feel like home in both cases because there is that sense of pride and dedication. And so I feel just not just in the oil and gas industry, but just Wyoming itself has that potential to be the leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, um, I would say for me, it was uh, really interesting coming to Wyoming and like learning, right, like meeting people. And one thing that I really noticed kind of right away is that everyone in Wyoming knows everyone, right? Wyoming, you always joke like, oh, this is like a small world and everyone in Wyoming knows everyone. And I thought that was really, really cool because in that case, it's very strong. It's very tight community of people, right, across different cities. And also across such a small piece of land too. Uh, it was really interesting how 
uh, in Wyoming, right, uh, all these people like work together because they know if they benefit their community, it will also benefit all the people inside the state. So now you have a lot of different communities, a lot of different cities working together towards a common goal, right? And in Wyoming, um, I also really like the spirit of the state, right? Uh, like people in Wyoming, they love Wyoming. And I do love Wyoming because of that. Yeah. Uh, it's really amazing. And I think uh, that translates into the leadership, how we always say um, innovation typically comes from smaller companies, smaller communities. And I think Wyoming is perfectly uh, positioned there because now it's way easier to get uh, new technologies out, to get new projects, just to get new things out in the world, right? Like how Wyoming became a national leader in cryptocurrency. And it wasn't really that hard, right? It just had to embrace it and push forward with it. Yeah. And we, uh, Wyoming can do this um, for a lot of other things as well. Um, and that's what I really liked. Uh, and I think, um, again, it's a perfect uh, platform for uh, new things and new technologies uh, to come out and give an example to the rest uh, of the states and even the rest of the world, yes. how a lot of people can unite together and work towards a common goal. Uh, and I think we're, we're perfectly set up for this. Um, that was all that up, Salem. That was great. Yeah. No, hey, Wyoming's frontier land, right? Wyoming was the frontier. I moved there in 86 from Dallas, and people said, oh, they still have, you know, they have electricity there. Do they have, you know, like that kind of stuff, right? But Wyoming is a frontier spirit, and it's a frontier spirit. What does that mean, right? That means that you see possibilities. And people in Wyoming that settled Wyoming and since the beginning of Wyoming see possibilities. What you get is in, in cities and in, in the high populated, you don't see possibilities, you see restrictions, right? So in frontier, when you're out there in the grand opening scape of Wyoming, what do you see? Possibility. I don't see buildings, I don't see those things. I'm constantly surrounded with opportunity and possibility, right? Technology innovation is about seeing possibility and opportunity. Frontiersmen didn't go for a sure deal, right? They didn't settle the, the Wild West for a sure deal, right? That was by the possibility and the opportunity. We are in that realm again, and we have to embrace that again in our industries for energy industries today. What better place that that comes through is what Wyoming, right? Because it's all possibility there. It's a blank canvas in so many ways that what can happen, right? The people that are there have the spirit that they're the little guy and they want to fight, right? They want to be there the whole time. They don't want to move somewhere else and join the crowd. They want to be who they are there. And that's exactly what we love. We are the same. That's why we stay in Wyoming. That's why we stay in Laramie's because we're the same. We're the little guy fighting the big guys that say, oh, oil and gas industry is going to be dead in 20 years and let's move on and let's just go ahead and leave all these wells to the landowners to plug and abandon. And we say, no, that's what Wyoming is. And that's what Go Be Wyoming is about. Go Be Wyo is, is the little guy and about possibility. So for us, what better place to embrace and to be part of that community than Wyoming? Love it. Love that. That was awesome. Um, last thing, guys, just uh, what's the best way to find ESAL? Um, who should people get in touch with? Um, you know, I've already mentioned the start engine. Um, you know, what are some other things that you guys would like to point out to people if they're interested in the crowdfunding and things like that? Uh, but where, where can you find us? Uh, you can go to our website, uh, eSalinity.com. Uh, you see us on LinkedIn. 
uh, on LinkedIn quite a bit. All the time we have a great presence there. If you want to read more, we put papers up there, our thoughts, our thought leadership pieces. I totally encourage people to go to Start Engine website and see the video. Like you said, it talks, you can see what we're doing a little bit and talks about that. Uh, we have Facebook, uh, we have Instagram. Uh, we started on Instagram too. So we're, yeah. we're, uh, we're positioning ourselves on all the uh, major social media platforms. So all, um, all the things. Yeah, we're expanding, we're growing, and um, it's pretty easy to get a hold of us. Yeah. yeah. And then just at any time, reach out. Uh, we're, like we say, we're a family here. We're interested to talk to anybody. You usually get with Brandon first, and he, and he lets you know what's going on. So reach out to them. There's a link on our website. If you're interested, then contact us and we'll give you a call right back uh, as soon as, you know, usually within a day or so uh, and get back with you. And, and that's where we're at. So reach out, have fun, follow us on LinkedIn, please. Cause we're always, every week we're posting something new and we put some of our science up there as well. So um, love it. Appreciate you having us on the show, Aaron. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Great. Absolutely. Well, you guys were first supporters of the show, you know, and uh, so of course I've had you guys on and, um, always happy to get you guys on and talk energy and, and promote you guys. Um, I will say, I think Gobi Wow is the first follower on Instagram because I was looking for you guys. I was like, are they on Instagram? Oh, yeah. We just started Instagram because we have to think about, hey, you know, everybody needs to be able to find you. So um, mm-hmm. we, we, that was something we just recently started to do. So we'll, we'll be putting more more posts on Instagram. So if you got that, follow us, man. Uh, yep. You know, we'll start putting some videos and things and stuff that we've been doing up there too. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and you guys do put some great stuff out on LinkedIn, so I would highly recommend that. But um, how long, here's one question. How long is the crowd uh, crowdfunding going to go for? Uh, it'll go for a few more months that we know okay. of. Uh, it, on, the, on the page, I don't think it says when it closes, but it'll be a notification out then. We'll be putting that out. We'll be doing a lot more videos and talking about what we're going to be doing in the future. So anybody investing understands what they're investing and how they're investing. Like I say, if you believe that we should have sustainable energy, low price, sustainable energy for the next 20, 40, 30 years, then you should be invested in us. Uh, We're going to be leading that way. And so no one else is doing it and it's just us. So uh, might as well hit your, you know, horse star wagon and go. So we need your help to do that. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're doing. So. Love it. Well, and, and also too, for my Wyoming listeners, you're a Wyoming based company, Wyoming guys, um, you know, and, and everyone should have raised their hand with all those things you just said, sustainable energy, cheap prices, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like if you're not raising your hand, something's wrong. So <laughs> I agree. You might want to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, uh, uh, Brandon, Vladimir, Salem, thanks for your guys' time. It was great to have you guys on and, uh, make sure you guys go to their website and, uh, you can find them almost anywhere. So ESAL, ESAL, uh, energy, energy. Engineered salinity. Sorry, guys. Got it. Good. Appreciate it. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having us on. Love the show. Keep following. Thanks, guys. Yep. Hey, Merry Christmas, guys. We'll talk to you later. Merry Christmas. Thanks.